invite you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. It's on page 750 if you're using your pew Bible there provided for you. Thanks so much, band, for leading us in worship. That was, that was really beautiful. Thank you. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. <clears throat> John writes, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. For from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the God, God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, being this close to the living nativity presentations, it is all that I can do to read John chapter 1 and not fall into my best Dr. Nelson voice and also borrow from the King James Version as I'm trying to make it through that passage. Um, we're wrapping up our Advent series in John chapter 1, and this morning I want you to think for just a moment about the NFL and celebrities. First you might be like, what is he talking about? Um, the NFL is probably is as popular as it's ever been. Uh, in fact, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week about how the NFL is trying to take over Christmas. If you want to, to avoid your family at points, you can find yourself a TV and watch some football on Christmas Day. But, but the NFL is kind of everywhere these days. Some of you, before you walked in here, you made sure that your fantasy roster was set. It was actually that that made me realize I should not be playing fantasy football anymore when I was thinking about my roster on Sunday morning. But it's just kind of everywhere. And as you watch the games this past year, you also notice that there was this merger with superstardom and NFL. And there was one particular global pop star that found herself getting a lot of TV time at NFL games. Do we all know who we're talking about? Right? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift and the tight end for the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, have a relationship, I don't know if it's a true romantic relationship or more of a business opportunity because there's a lot of money to be made, a lot of jerseys to be sold, but you would watch Chiefs games and usually several times during the game, we get the pan up to the box and Taylor Swift and Miss Mahomes are up there celebrating or in anguish at whatever's happening on the field. And it's one of those moments where, we, where you see that the more popular you are, the more famous you are, the more that you are kind of up and coming, the higher away from the field you sit at an NFL game. Like to be in the box, and it's not just Taylor Swift, it could be other like owners or other influential people. If you're watching the NFL game, oftentimes they'll pan up to that place where I will probably never go, up into the owner's box, and kind of show what all the superstars and famous people up there are doing. And there's this propensity in our hearts, you all, to, to elevate people who are quote-unquote famous, people who are popular. And oftentimes the case is the more popular they get, what do you do? You withdraw from the masses more, don't you? The more popular you are, the more removed you are from just kind of common, normal people like you and me. And there can be this desire for you and me to, to really want to climb that ladder of popularity and fame, can't there? 
It can even influence, I think, our understanding of faith in God, such that God is high and holy and he is exalted and lifted up. And for you and me to get close to or near him, that, that you and I have to be or become the right kind of people to fit in that club. If you want Green Bay Packers tickets, you know your best way to get them? Be born into a family that already owns them. Some ways we think about faith that way, that, that maybe it's for a select few that are born into the right family with the right religious pedigree. Or you can um, have a friend who opens the door for you maybe. Like you can know a famous person who might be able to get you in. And maybe we think about faith in those terms that if I'm around the right people or these people can connect me to God in a way I can't on my own. Or maybe I make it on my own and I earn enough money to, to finally open that door. And you and I can think about matters of faith as if we've got to earn enough or work enough or become righteous enough to find it into God's orbit or space. And the good news of Christmas, you all, is that none of those things will ever make us fit enough to be in God's presence. And in the person of Jesus Christ, we learn that actually, that all that you and I can do to be qualified to be in God's presence is to receive the gift of salvation that's possible to us through faith in Christ. And the way that Christ delivers this salvation to us is by humbling himself, not going higher, but coming lower. But the lower and lower he got, taking on flesh, even eventually going to the cross, that, that he didn't lose his glory, but in fact, the more humble he became, the more obedient, the lower he went, the more glory he had. I want you to see this from John's gospel. John chapter 1. Again, the word became flesh. Now, you and I are accustomed to the idea that Jesus came and took on flesh, but I'm pretty sure John's original audience and the culture around would have heard the idea that the word or God became flesh, and they would do more like, <gasps> what? God, the word, became flesh? Is this idea that, that God was high and holy and that flesh was kind of bad and evil and fallen. And so the idea that God would come and take on flesh would have been totally outside their um, normal operation, the way that they thought. But John says, and the word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. That Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, humbled himself and took on flesh and dwelt among us, and he was really God incognito for a long time. Think about that. I was driving around this week, like many of you, probably trying to get last-minute things off your Christmas list, and I was driving around with one of my children who was forced to spend time with me as we Christmas shopped, right? And I just looked over and I was driving down through the midst of all this stuff. Maybe this is just what preachers do. I don't know. But I was driving, and I was thinking about my sermon, and I looked at him, and I thought, like, Jesus was 13 at one point. Like, Jesus took on flesh and was just kind of like living a normal life, humbled himself to the point of growing up at each of those stages. He became flesh, and he did not pulled himself back or away from humanity, but he went full in and he dwelt among the people. Eugene Peterson would say it, uh, God moved into the neighborhood. 
So Jesus came and he humbled himself. He took on flesh and he dwelled among us. And you and I have seen his glory. That in him humbling himself and going lower and taking on flesh, we have seen his glory. And last week we talked about the way that you and I recognize Christ for who he is. It's not because we're smarter than other people or more religiously superior than, but the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our lives so that you and I are enabled to believe the good news of the gospel, that God stepped down into the world that he had created, he took on flesh, and you and I have seen and beheld in Jesus Christ the glory of God in a way that believers in past generations could not have understood. Toward the end of this passage, John says, the law came through whom? Moses. I love asking questions like that in sermons because most of you know it, but you're not sure. You're like, ah, trick question. The law came through Moses, and the law coming through Moses was an expression of God's grace. Paul would say later in the New Testament, the law in and of itself is not a bad thing. God revealing his will for how we live in relationship with him and with others is an expression of his grace and his kindness. But how many of us are able to keep the law? Anybody? That what the law ultimately does, though it's an expression of God's grace, what the law ultimately does is it shows us our inability to be the people that God calls us to be. It shows us our inability to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor, even as we love ourselves. And so the law, even though it's an expression of God's grace, ultimately we know that it is not enough to save us. That everybody in here, in light of the law, finds himself in a position where you fall short of God's glory, and then you have this problem of how is it that you're going to be reconciled to the Lord. And this part of the story of redemption of Christ coming into the world is a reminder that apart from God's grace and his mercy revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, that we have no hope. That you and I are not able in our own power to save ourselves. And that's true to the extent that he didn't just send um, regulations or offer these sacrifices or do these things to be made right with me and with others. But he had to do nothing less than come into this earth and take on flesh and live the perfect life that you and I could not live, ultimately going to, cr to the cross to pay the penalty and the price for our salvation so that through faith in him, you and I have the opportunity to receive the very righteousness of God imparted to us through faith in Christ, and all of this is made possible because Jesus humbled himself, was born in the likeness of men, dwelt among us in obscure ways, ultimately going so low as to humble himself to die on the cross in our place so that you and I might receive salvation. That Christmas is important and the incarnation is important because it reminds us that none of us can save ourselves in our own power or ability. You can't be born to the right family. You can't know the right person to open the door for you. You can't earn enough money to buy your way in. You can't do enough righteous works. 
But the incarnation is this really powerful reminder that you and I needed a miracle and God provided it to us in the person of Jesus who humbled himself. And as he went lower and lower and lower in his humility, rather than being less glorious, he became more and more and more glorious the lower that he went. Michael Reeves, in his book, Rejoicing in Christ, would say it something like this, that Christ was never so glorious as he was on the cross. And that in his humility, in his path toward obedience that would ultimately accomplish our salvation, the more that he gave his worldly fame away, and here's the wonderful, beautiful thing about it, if there was anybody in the history of the world who deserved to be high and lifted up, who deserved to be lauded, who deserved for the world to go crazy about them, it was Jesus Christ. And the fact that he is that worthy and laid it aside to be made like us makes what he did in the incarnation that much more beautiful. So what do you do with that? Um, one, I just want to challenge you this Christmas season to allow the beauty of who God has revealed himself to be in the incarnation in Christ to move you to love and gratitude and response for who, all he's done for you in Jesus. The story of Christmas and the understanding of the incarnation ought to move your heart to be so grateful for Christ and all that he willingly did and endured for us and for our salvation. And then secondly, I challenge you to let it shape how you live your life. How many of you um, have already planned on putting your Christmas stuff up? Anybody put your tree up already? <laughs> Some of you are like, tree's already down, bro. Right? But you're already probably mentally headed that way. That it's pretty, it's great for a while, but you're already like, all right, moving on, celebrating New Year's next year. That's okay. But I do hope that as we walk through this season of Advent for all these weeks and as we celebrate Jesus' birth tomorrow, that, that the impact that the Lord makes in our lives as we live in a different way is still up and running and moving long after all your decorations are put up. That God moves in our hearts and changes us to move out into the world and we're humbled by Christ's humiliation and coming and taking on flesh and going to the cross and believe that that life ultimately is the life that will lead to abundant and eternal joy. There's not one person in this room, I would guess, that wouldn't in some way like to be famous and popular and amazing. And when we hear those stories and those thoughts about who we're going to be and how we're going to find joy and glory, the scriptural story says that, that you were not made for that as a human being. And all that will leave you um, feeling ultimately is insecure and not enough, always striving for that. And ultimately the path to joy and happiness and glory as it relates to God's kingdom is to increasingly follow Christ's path of humbling yourself and serving other people. And it would be really, really um, wonderful if our Christmas celebrations led us to a changed heart where we really believe that it's not all about us, 
It's not about our name or our fame or our kingdom. But God so transforms us by the example of Christ and what he did for our salvation that we start to move out. And our pursuit is not to get higher and higher and higher to justify ourselves or find joy, but our pursuit is then to lay down our lives in service of other people, realizing that ultimately we were made for Christ's glory and not our own. One humbling truth before we finish. Look around the sanctuary. 100 years, all new people. 100 years, all new people. But if this church is still standing and this church is still faithful to what God's called us us to do and be, we'll still be proclaiming the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So the best um, investment of your life is to live not for your own glory, your own fame, your own whatever. It's to live for that name that will last for all of eternity. Why don't you pray with me? God, we thank you for the humility that Christ has displayed on our behalf, taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Being so faithful to your plan for redemption that he would humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross so that we might be clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts and our lives, that you would help us to respond in gratitude and joy and thanksgiving for all that you've done for us in Christ and that you would send us out as people who've been transformed and that we would live our lives ultimately for your kingdom and for the good of other people, knowing that ultimately that is what will satisfy our hearts. We pray that our Christmas and our Advent celebrations would be um, such that they make a lasting and distinguishable difference in who we are. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here this morning,